0: I hope over the course of this week you've been praying that the Lord would open up doors of opportunity for you and for me to share the Word. And when we're given those doors, pray the Lord will open our mouths so we can boldly proclaim the truth of Jesus Christ and say the truth of His Gospel, the good news of Him, as we ought to. And that the Lord would open up ears and hearts to hear that Word. Please continue praying that this week. This is not something that's going to be one and done, this is an ongoing. Add this to your regular prayers, and I will as well. So I'm going to just start reading in one, just to get us going a little bit, and there's an expression that I've kind of grappled with, and think I have a better understanding than I did, and so we'll see if we can't go through that. 2 Thessalonians 3, starting in verse 1. Finally, brethren, pray for us that the word of the Lord may have free course and be glorified even as it is with you and that we may be delivered from unreasonable and wicked men for all men have not faith. But the Lord is faithful who shall establish you and keep you from evil. And we have confidence in the Lord touching you that ye both do and will do the things we command you. And the Lord direct your hearts into the love of God and into the patient waiting for Christ. So, the Lord is faithful. That's a full stop statement. The Lord is faithful. There's not a human in this world that is faithful, but the Lord is. God is faithful. He doesn't change What he says is trustworthy. He is faithful. If we're going to be established, it's got to be him establishing us. So here it says, the Lord is faithful who shall establish you and keep you from evil. So just as he's been praying that they would be delivered from unreasonable and wicked men, he's confident the Lord will keep them, guard them from the evil. We sang that song about Jesus, what a friend who's saving, keeping, loving, He's guarding us. He is protecting us and helping us through this way. Um, The evil can go no farther than He'll permit. Just like with Job. The Lord allowed evil to come into His life and it had terrible afflictions, but it wasn't one scintilla, one smidge farther than the Lord was going to allow it to go. Alright? He is keeping you from the evil. And we have confidence in the Lord touching you. That's a good way of expressing this because He's saying we're confident that you're going to do what we've commanded and you're going to continue to do it. But it's not because i got confidence in you. It's I've got confidence in the Lord and what He's doing in you and through you and strengthening you. And so in that, even though the Thessalonians here, He's confident they're going to be obedient, He's still directing the glory to God. He gets the credit. He gets the praise. The Lord is faithful. We have confidence in the Lord touching you that ye both do, currently doing, and will do the things which we command you. So the context there is talking about obedience to that which you've been taught. And then in verse 5, it says, And the Lord direct your hearts into the love of God and into the patient waiting for Christ. As I initially read this verse, directing your heart into the love of God, Initially, it it seems kind of jarring. What do you mean? How can I be put into the love of God? And if that's how you're reading it, it will be inconsistent with other Scripture. You cannot be put into the love of God. You're already there. And nothing can take you out of it. Not your disobedience, not Satan, not anything. All of his children... He chose before the foundation of the world, not because of any good that they had done, but for His own sovereign will, He gave those to His Son. And those are the ones that His Son came to die for, and He did, and that He saved them. They are loved. Loved by the Father, loved by the Son. And you don't have to change anything to be in that love. Okay? That's not what it's talking about. You can see that in Romans um, 8.35. Very plainly, that there's nothing that can take you out of that love. Romans 8, 35-39. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Is there any man, anything in this world, any spiritual enemy that can separate you from the love of Christ? How about tribulation? Nope. Distress? No. Persecution? Well, if things just get bad enough, will I be separated from the love of Christ? No. What about famine? If I run out of food? No. Nakedness, I got no clothes. You know, Isaiah, we read through that this week, right? You know, Three years he had to walk around naked to prove a point. It's hard to be a prophet. (laughs) But did that separate him from God? No. Persecution, famine, nakedness, peril, sword? No. As it is written, for thy sake, for the Lord's sake, we are killed all the day long. We are counted as sheep for the slaughter. If those things happen, they cannot separate us in the love of God. Your enemies, they do the worst thing they can do to you, and they still cannot separate you from the love of Christ. Nay, in all these things, we're more than conquerors through him that loved us. Now, we like that expression. We're conquerors. You know that in that same verse, we're talking about we're the sheep who's about to get slayed. They kill you, and you still overcome. They think, just like Satan, when Jesus died on the cross, he's thinking, yeah, I got it. Nope. You've already been defeated, and you don't even realize it. And all these things, tribulation, distress, persecution, famine, nakedness, peril, sword, being killed, all these things we more than conquerors through Him. For I am persuaded, I'm convinced, assured, I am persuaded that neither death nor life, nothing in death, nothing in life, nor angels, good or bad, nor principalities, your governments, nor powers, whatever rule that you have out there, whether it's spiritual or Carmel, nor things present, that was going on, nor things to come, that which is in the future still, nor height, you can't drop me from the height far enough that I can squish and be out of God's love, nor depth, you can't put me to the bottom of the ocean or the farthest point, nor any other creature, whatever, that's a catch-all, anything else. There's God and there's creature, right? That's the two things. There's God and everything else. Well, this everything else, is no, there's nothing else that can separate you from the love of God. So be able to separate us from the love of Christ, from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus, our Lord. Y'all, that's as secure as it comes, right? You can't get a warranty like that on anything, not in this world. But this is ironclad. It's better than iron. Iron rust. This is Jesus clad. All right. So, going back to our verse, the Lord direct your hearts into the love of God. It can't mean that something about us has to be put into God's love. That can't be what it means. There's too many other verses that clearly state, if you're one of his children, you're already there. And there ain't nothing that can take you out of it, so there's nothing that needs to put you back into it. So it must be meaning something, something else. All right? And so as I've been grappling this week, as it kind of came to me one evening. I wasn't even reading it, but I've been reading it so much. It's kind of stirring it out of my head, right? That meditation, I want it to revolve around in your head. If you read enough of the Word, you'll have something to chew on. that's better than the garbage out there. You can remember all your favorite songs from when you were a kid, right? You know all those lyrics. But you've still got that ability to hang on to better words. And I'm laying there in bed, and the Lord direct your hearts into the love of God. The love of God. My heart to loving God. Direct my heart into the love of God and into the patient waiting of Christ. My heart needs to be loving God. He's going to steer me into that. He needs to direct me. That's what the, the direct means. It means to straighten fully, to guide me, to take my heart so that I'm loving God and I'm patiently waiting for Christ. This is an admonition in the form of a prayer. Paul is praying that the Lord will direct your heart, Mason, your heart, Patrick, into loving God and patiently waiting for the Christ. This is your obedience now. This is not dealing with your eternal salvation. That's already secure. This is praying that you are serving Him now and that your service is motivated by your love Your love for the Father. And everything that you're doing, you're doing with the anticipation that Christ is coming. He is coming back. If you can live in that reality, man, that puts everything else that you're going through in a proper perspective. Okay? So loving God from our hearts. Not from our faces. (laughs) Right? We can praise God from our face, but if it doesn't start here... It's just lip service. The Pharisees and Sadducees, they love God and they would tell you about it on the street corner because they wanted to be seen of men. He says, they draw near to me with their mouth, but their hearts are far from me. And so each day, we need to be praying as we start that day, Lord, direct my heart into loving you. And that today, I will patiently wait for Christ to return. And you know, if everything I'm doing is motivated by love for God and in anticipation of Christ's return, I'm probably going to do things a little bit differently. This is how do I do now? That's this immediate previous verse, right? We have confidence in the Lord touching you that you will both do right now today and will do, that you'll continue to do the things which we command you, right? And are these just arbitrary things? Oh, this is Paul delivering... The Word of God. And this has been a theme throughout the end, the end of this book. You go back to chapter 2. Um, verse 15 says, Therefore, brethren, stand fast and hold the traditions, which means the precepts of that which you've been communicated to you, the ta- that which has been taught, the transmissions is the literal word, that hold the traditions which ye have been taught, whether by word or our epistle. So if we taught you there in person or now we're teaching you by letter, stand fast in those. Hold them. And now the Lord Jesus Christ himself and God, even our Father, which hath loved us, right? Well, we're from the beginning. He's loved us. And hath given us an everlasting consolation, everlasting comfort. Who's that? That's Christ. And what he's done and what the benefit you'll receive with the inheritance hath given us everlasting confidence and good hope through grace. And the Lord there comforts your hearts and establish you, set you fast in every good word and work. This is your whole manner of life. This is about discipleship. Okay? There is being a believer in Jesus Christ. That's good. That's step one. <laughs> right? In your 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 baby Christian journey, you're believing in Christ, that's great. Now we've got to get up and follow him. That's what a disciple means. It means to be a follower. A disciple follows a master. He looks what the master does, and then you try to do it. Do you do it perfectly like the master? No, you don't. But you don't stop and say, well, that's good enough. Nope. (laughs) You get up off your tukus and you start following. So this is about discipleship. This is about following. This is how do we live our lives here. Not to earn his love. You can't earn his love. He already loves you. For his own sake, he loves you. For his son's sake. But you want to follow. You want to follow Him. So the Lord direct your hearts into the love of God and into the patient waiting for Christ. Alright. So, this is Christ's church. He's the head of it. Y'all turn to John chapter 13. And what we're going to do this morning, this may take a while, it's okay, is we're going to look at the last messages that our leader spoke to his apostles, right, before he was crucified. This is several chapters in length. It's all at the same evening. And reading it together, we're going to glean some things. Lord willing. John chapter 13. We're going to learn about God's love and our hearts being directed into his love, directed us into loving him. And we're going to learn about that patient waiting for him. But this is what I want to focus on. And y'all stay with me. This may be something you've heard a hundred times. That's okay. You need to hear it again. There's no greater message than what I can tell you. And I can summarize things for you, but that's not as good as hearing exactly what the Lord chose to have recorded. This is not all that what's happened. John would say, you know, if all the things that Christ had done had been recorded, he said, I suppose the world couldn't contain it for the books. I mean, there's a whole volume of stuff, But this is what the Lord gave us. And so, just for today, I want to focus on just this this final night. All right, they've gone. They've gone to. Uh, they've gone into Jerusalem, even though it's quite dangerous for them to be there. Right? The, the the religious leaders want to kill him. They are looking for an opportunity. As soon as they get an opportunity, they're going to take it. Right? All they need is a chance where he's apart from the crowd. Right? And yet he comes in anyway, he's not fearing, and he goes to uh, this man's house, tells the master there, you know, the Lord's going to come and have his uh, Passover feast with his disciples there. He's got the upper room furnished. Right? That's that's our scene. We're now in that room that night before he's going to be murdered. John chapter 13 Now before the feast of the Passover, when Jesus knew His hour was come, that He should depart out of this world unto the Father, having loved His own which were in the world, He loved them unto the end. He's going to love you unto the end. He's known you and He's loved you. He's going to love them unto the end. And supper being ended the devil having now put into the heart of Judas Iscariot, Simon's son, to betray him. And Jesus, knowing that the Father hath given all things into his hands, that he was come from God, and went to God, he riseth from supper, laid aside his garments, took a towel, and girded himself. And after that he poured water in a basin, he began to wash his disciples' feet, and to wipe them with the towel wherewith he was girded. Then cometh he to Simon Peter, and Peter said unto him, Lord, dost thou wash my feet? And Jesus answered and said unto him, What I do thou knowest not now, but thou shalt know hereafter. And that was a pattern. Jesus would do many things, and his disciples would think, okay, we understand, but they didn't. And it wasn't until later that they would remember and that the Holy Spirit would teach them, this is why, this is what. And so even though he's going to explain it, he still doesn't Get it. So he's washing his disciples' feet. This is the example that our Lord has given. And we we observe this in our communion time. We also have our foot washing time where we follow the pattern that Jesus gave. That the master of the universe came and washed the dirty and nasty feet of his disciples. Not because they were great and not because they were perfect but because he loved them. And he loved them unto the end. Peter said, Thou shalt never wash my feet. And Jesus answered him, saying, If I wash thee not, thou hast no part with me. And Simon Peter said, Lord, not my feet only, but also my hands and my head. And Jesus said to him, He that is washed needeth not save to wash his feet, but is clean every whit, and ye are clean, but not all. And so, he has made us clean. Absolutely, the work of Jesus has made us clean. His children are clean. Now, I said they're not all because that's referring to Judas. He would not have been cleansed. He was not going to be cleansed by the blood. But you've got this washing of the feet, this this symbol of the daily defilement that we have as we walk through this world. Now it doesn't defile us in the sense that it undoes what Jesus did on the cross, but is that reminder of our daily going to the Lord? Of Lord, I confess this is what I could. I have failed here specifically. Lord, forgive me and help me to turn from it. That daily washing, all right? For he knew who should betray him. So they were all clean, but not all. For he knew who should betray him. Therefore, he said, you're not all clean. So after he had washed their feet and had taken his garments and was set down again and said unto them, Know ye what I've done unto you. You call me master and Lord and you say, well, for so I am. He is. He is our master. And then if I then, your Lord and master, have washed your feet, ye also ought to wash one another's. For I have given you an example that ye should do as I have done unto you. Now that example applies there, right there, to that physical washing of feet, and that applies to everything else. How did he interact? Was he patient? Was he loving? Did he sacrifice himself for his friends? He's given us an example. He's our example that we should follow. Verily I say unto you, The servant is not greater than his Lord, neither he that is sent greater than he that sent him. We know that. We forget that. We shouldn't expect to receive better treatment than our master received. And we shouldn't expect to be higher or or raised up above anybody. Our best and happiest spot is at lowest point beneath our Savior's feet. And you know how you get there in this world? By being at the feet of His children. If ye you know these things, happy are ye if you do them. All right, This is going to be a pattern through what we're looking at. Happy are ye if you know them and you do them. There's no half credit for just knowing it. You can know a whole lot, but if you're not putting it into practice, you're not happy. You're not blessed. You're not following the pattern. Okay. I speak not to all... I speak not of you all. Right? He's excluding Judas there. I know whom I have chosen. Right? He called all 12, but only 11 of those were his chosen. But that the Scriptures may be fulfilled, he that eateth bread with him hath lifted up his heel against me. He said, you know, this, this was the way it had to be. It's fulfilling the prophecy of the Old Testament. There was going to be one who was so close to the Savior that he's eating bread with him at the very meal that he was going to betray him. And Now I tell you before it come that when it is come to pass, ye may believe that I am He. And again, this is a pattern of God. Old Testament and New. He would tell things, of this is what's going to happen. So you didn't just think it was just chance, but for a reason, that you'd know that He was speaking truth back here, or here, that you'd know that He is who He says He is. He's the Christ, knowing all things. Verily I say unto you, He that receiveth whomsoever I send, receiveth me. And him that receiveth me, receiveth him that sent me. So, when you receive one coming, speaking in the name of Jesus Christ, it is the same as if you're receiving Christ himself. And when you're receiving Christ himself, you're receiving God the Father. Okay? And when Jesus was thus said thus, he was troubled in his spirit and testified and said, Verily, verily, I say unto you, one of you shall betray me. And the disciples looked at one another, doubting of whom he spake. And now there was, leaning on Jesus' bosom, one of his disciples, whom Jesus loved. So this is the Apostle John. I mean, how much more intimate can you get than he's there leaning on his Savior's chest? Right? He's leaning there and, and Peter, you know, nudging seeing him so close to him, kind of, you know, hey, ask him who he's talking about. Wanted to know who he spake, who's going to betray him. And so he said, Lord, who is it? And Jesus answered and said, He it is to whom I shall give a sop when I have dipped it. And when he had dipped the sop, he gave it to Judas Iscariot, the son of Simon. And after the SOP Satan entered into Judas, and then Jesus said unto him, That thou doest, do it quickly. And now they didn't know what he was going to do. They didn't understand. Um, so no man at the table knew for what intent he said this unto him. And some of them thought, well, Judas has got the bag. He's the treasurer. And so maybe he needs to go buy something for the feast or maybe he has to go give something to the poor. But either way, after he'd received the sop, he stood up and he went out. Now he had already made a deal with the Religious leaders that, you know, so I find an opportunity, I'll come to you and you'll tell it. And they paid him 30 pieces of silver for that. And so he's going to go to the religious leaders and they're going to send him with their own mob. Um, and they're going to come and take him by night where the crowd wasn't there. Because they feared the people. Because the people accounted him for a prophet at least, if not the Christ himself. And so if you try to take a prophet, the crowd is going to stone you. And so they had to do this in secret. So he goes out and he said, like, why are you going through all this, this details? This is all going on at the same night. We can't just jump in the middle. I want you to have the full picture of what's going on. You've had the Last Supper. Our Master has washed His disciples' feet. He's taught them about that. He's told the one who's going to betray Him, go ahead and get on with it. And he leaves and now he's just with his eleven, the ones that he's chosen, the ones that he loves. Therefore, when he was gone out, Jesus said, now is the Son of Man glorified, and God is glorified in Him. If God be glorified in Him, God shall glorify Him in Himself, and shall straightway glorify Him. Little children, yet a little while I am with you. Ye shall seek Me, as I said unto the Jews, Whither I go, ye cannot come, so now I say unto you. All right? You'll find an... Um, the Apostle John's writings, he'll use this expression, little children. He's following the example of Jesus. And that little children is saying, I'm writing unto you something you don't understand. <laughs> right? There's, there's the little children who are you know, babes in Christ. They have things that they've still got to learn and understand. And there's the fathers who are supposed to have grown up and the elders who are supposed to be the teachers. Right? And so here are the little children. These are disciples who've been with him for three-something years listening to the best preacher ever and they still don't get it. So he you know, little children, yet a little while I'm with you. A little while. I mean, literally just a few more hours that he was going to be with them. Ye shall seek me, and as I said to the Jews, whither I go, ye cannot come. So now I say unto you. So, time's at the end, alright? There's some important things you need to know. alright Y'all ever hear about people talking about on their deathbed? Do folks give a little bit more attention when somebody's talking on their deathbed? They do. Why? Because... That's the last time you expect to hear from him. Right? So he's given some final instructions. So let's listen very, very carefully to what he says. A new commandment I give unto you that ye love one another as I have loved you, that ye also love one another. Okay, you've got the commandment there love one another. The brothers and the sisters, Jesus's, the ones that He's chosen, the ones who believe, the ones who are following Him, love them. It doesn't just stop there. It gives you the degree that you're supposed to love them, the magnitude, the order, right? you got a machine, you can turn it up a little bit, and you've got to turn it up a whole lot. This is to turn it up all the way. That's the magnitude, that's the power that you're supposed to be loving. With the same love that Christ has for you. As I have loved you, that ye also love one another. This is a command. Right? This isn't a suggestion. This is a deathbed command. Right? Very important. That ye love one another as I have loved you. That ye also love one another. Right? It's even repeated within the command. Right? Is this important? Absolutely. By this, all men know that ye are my disciples. If ye have love one to another. Okay? This is not a secret inner feeling. If that was the case, men wouldn't be able to see it. This is love in action. So much so that followers out in the world and the world itself, whether they believe in Jesus or not, they'll see, this one's a follower of Him. Because they have an inordinate level of love For the other believers, okay? Our love to one another should be genuine from the heart and manifest in such a way that those around us can see it. And that's how they'll know we're a disciple of Christ. You are my disciples. You are a follower of Christ, not just a mere, I believe in His existence. Yeah, well, the devils believe in His existence and they tremble, but rather we're a follower of Him. As we wake up in the morning, am I going to follow Christ today? Well, He's commanded me to love His children and to love them as He loves me. And if I'm loving and loving in action, it should be visible to all those around me. Now Simon Peter said unto Him, Lord, whither goest thou? Not the commandment. Let me go back to that part. You said you're going away. Where are you going? He answered and said, Whither I go, thou canst not follow me now but thou shalt follow me afterwards. He's going to his death. And Peter, you're going to die, but it's not just yet your time. Peter didn't understand that yet. Lord, Peter said unto him, Lord, why can I not follow thee now? I will lay down my life for thy sake. And Jesus answered him, wilt thou lay down my life, thy life for my sake? Verily I say unto thee, the croc, the croc shall not crow till thou hast denied me thrice. Right? Peter was very bold but he was confident in himself and when we're confident in ourselves we're going to fall it's great to be confident in the Lord and what he can do if we're confident in ourselves we're going to have a fall and so he was he was ready he was willing to go down guns blazing you know an Alamo scenario we're all fighting to the end I mean, he's the one who's going to draw the sword and cut off the high priest's ear he said yeah alright we want to fight but to have to passively take it no no that's too much So, after he's told Peter he's going to deny him, immediately goes into, let not your heart be troubled. This is the context for, for these this chapters that we, we read and we love. But this is where it is. They're all there, just the eleven, and Jesus, he's told him, I'm going away. You're going to deny me, Peter. I'm going away, and I'm commanding you to love one another. Let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. Trust me. Trust what I'm saying. And that troubled means to be agitated, to be roiled like a boiling water. Let not your heart be troubled. In my Father's house are many mansions, many abodes, many places. If it were not so, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place for you. Our Lord was going to prepare a place for you individually right I've made this point before but it's not just like a general <laughs> here's the spot but he knows you specifically right it's not y'all just sign up and sign the guest book and we'll see who got here no, he has a spot for you that he prepared for you in his father's house and if I go and prepare a place for you I will come again. You believe God, believe me. He's made a promise that He's coming back. Direct our hearts into the love of God and the patient waiting for Christ. This is real. And this should be part of our life of trusting Him who's faithful that He said He is coming back. And not only that, I will receive you unto Myself that where I am ye may be also. What better place is there? There's not. What better reward is there? None. And whither I go, ye you know. Where I go, ye you know, and the way ye you know. Now Thomas is just confused. Lord, we know not whither where we don't know whither you're going. And how can we know the way? He said, Lord, we don't know where your destination is, and we certainly don't know how to get there. We know where Jesus is talking. He's talking about going to heaven. To be there. He's going to come back. He's going to take us there. And Jesus said to him, we don't know where you're going. How can we know the way? And that's when Jesus says, I am the way. I'm the way. And the way means a path. The road. The avenue. The only avenue. I am the way. The truth and the life. All other roads lead to destruction. All other words that are not Him are lies. All other roads lead to death. He is the only way that leads to truth and life. He is the truth. He is the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. This is an exclusive doctrine. This, you know, The world loves inclusivity. I'm not saying be unkind to anybody. We're told to love our enemies. But there is no other way. There is no path to salvation. There is nothing else that ends in eternal life other than the path that was paved by Jesus' body. And He comes and He takes His own with Him. He's the only way. He is the only truth. There is no multiple truths out there and multiple ways to, you know, having a, a happy ending beyond death. The rest are fairy tales. I am the way, the truth, and the life. So, Thomas, you may not understand where I'm going, but I'm the way. I'm how you get there. The truth and the life. No man cometh unto me, unto the Father, but by me. If you'd known me, you should have known my Father also. And from henceforth you know him and have seen him. Now, Philip's confused. He says, Lord, show us the Father, and it suffices thee. He doesn't understand the connection between the Father and the Son. Jesus rebukes him gently. He says, Have I been with you so long, and yet thou hast not known me, Philip? He that hath seen me hath seen the Father. And how sayest thou then, show us the Father? Believest thou not that I am in the Father, and the Father in me? The words that I speak unto you, I speak not of myself, but the Father that dwelleth in me, he hath the works." Believe me that I am in the Father and the Father in me, or else believe me for the very works' sake. All right, go to Second John, Second Epistle of John, talking about revolving things in the mind. This is when what I've been trying to memorize this week, and there is the commandment in here. And oh, you start in verse four. I rejoice greatly that I found of thy children walking in truth. So he's writing unto a sister. Um, and to her children. He's found, these children, wherever He's at, that they're walking in truth. What's the truth? As we've received a commandment from the Father. What's the commandment? Now I beseech thee, lady. So, they were doing it. I want to beg you. Not as though I wrote a new commandment unto you, but that which we had from the beginning, that we love one another. Where does that come from? It comes from that Last Supper. (laughs) That new commandment. I'm not making up a new one. This is the one we had from the beginning, that we love one another. And this is the commandment that we walk in. After his commandments. Ooh, this is love. This is love that we walk after his commandment. Here's the commandment love one another. How do you demonstrate that loving one another? Walking after his commandments. It's broader. Right? All the commandments. This is the commandment that as you've heard from the beginning, ye should walk in it. Verse 7 For many deceivers are entered into the world who confess not that Jesus Christ is come in the flesh. This is a deceiver and an antichrist. Look to yourselves that we lose not those things which we have wrought, but that we receive a full reward. Don't lose the joy of the gospel by allowing it to be watered down, to be smeared, to be distorted, to be tainted. Whosoever transgresseth and abideth not in the doctrine of Christ, the doctrine of Christ that Christ has come in the flesh, if he doesn't abide in that, says he doesn't have God. He hath not God. He that abideth in the doctrine of Christ, that Jesus Christ is come in the flesh, he hath both the Father and the Son. So if there come any unto you that bring not this doctrine, receive him not into your house, neither bid him God's speed. Don't, don't invite him to speak in your church. Don't have him teach his doctrine in your house. Don't bid him Godspeed speed on his way. Why? For he that biddeth him Godspeed speed is partaker of his evil deeds. Okay? This is saying, those who are teaching a false doctrine, that there is some other way other than Jesus Christ, let it go. Don't encourage it. Don't be a partaker of those evil deeds. Okay? To the Father and the Son. If you've got the Son, you've got the Father and the Son. Alright? Verse 12 of John 14, Verily I say unto you, He that believeth on me, the works that I do, he shall do, and greater than these shall he do, because I go unto the Father. So he's telling these disciples and apostles here, y'all are going to have some, some works that are going to be miraculous, and you're you're going to do them. And whatsoever you ask in my name, that will I do, that the Father may be glorified in the Son. Alright? The caveat in that, whatever you're asking in my name, you're praying to the Father. That's who we pray to, by the way. We pray to the Father in the name of Jesus. We're not praying directly to Jesus. We're told to pray to the Father in the name of Jesus. We're not praying to the Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit's there and active, but we're addressing the Father. And we're addressing it in Jesus' name. And what's the purpose of all, whatever we say, that the Father may be glorified. So you asked for that Corvette and he didn't give you the Corvette? Well, he's not a genie. It wasn't going to be glorifying to him. All right? This will I do that my Father may be glorified in the Son. So if you ask anything in my name, I will do it. The caveat on that is that if it will glorify the Father. If you love me, keep my commandments. Oh, we saw that over in Second John, right? I kind of jumped ahead. If you love me, keep my commandments. Direct the Lord direct your hearts into the love of God that we would love God now he's commanded us to love one another that's the new commandment right and if you do love Jesus what does it say you're going to do you're going to keep his commandments right that's plural you're going to be studying and learning what his commandments are you're going to be looking at his pattern his example and then you're going to be keeping them guarding them guarding them in your heart and living them out and I will pray to the Father and He shall send you another comforter that He may abide with you forever, even the Spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive. Those that are not the Lord's, those that weren't given to Him, they will never receive the comforter. They can't. Whom the world cannot receive because it seeth Him not, neither knoweth Him. Well, how do you see Him and know Him? Well, because the Lord has already given you new birth, which you will do to His children. But ye know Him. For he dwelleth with you and shall be with you. That comfort, that consolation. The indwelling Holy Spirit. I will not leave you comfortless. I will come to you. Alright, so you got multiple things going on here. One, he's going to come after his death. That's the resurrection. He's going to come visibly see him. He's going to come in the form of the comforter and dwell in you. And then he's coming again. The Lord is coming. I will come to you. Yet a little while and the world will see me no more, but ye see me. Because I live, ye shall live also. Because I live. Your Savior lives. Now, do you, do you, you recognize that this morning? He is alive. It says where two or three are gathered together, he's there in the midst of He's here with you, alive. That's who we're worshiping today. Because I live ye shall live also. All those other ways, all those other lives, all those other roads that lead to to ruin and destruction, their leaders are not alive. Whoever came up with their paradigm, they're dead. Our leader lives. Because I live, ye shall live also. At that time, ye shall know that I am in the Father, and ye in me, and I in you. He that hath my commandments and keepeth them, he it is that loveth me. The Lord direct your hearts into the love of God. If you want to love God this morning, know His commandments and keep them. He hath my commandments and keepeth them. Now, how can you have His commandments? Well, one, when you're born again, He said He wrote them into your heart. So even if you've never heard the gospel, the Lord given you new birth. Gives you those commandments. You know what pleases him and what doesn't. And then on top of that, you are privileged to have an entire copy of his word in your language, and the multitude of tools to learn, research, and grow. You've got it. So he who hath my commandments and keepeth them. Is he that loveth him? Well, I love Jesus, but your life don't look like you love Jesus at all. It looks like you love the world. Let us not be two-faced. Let us be consistent. Am I saying that you're going to be absolutely perfect? No. Because I'm not either. But I should care and I should love the Lord enough to try to serve Him. And He told me how to serve Him. If you love me, if you want to manifest your love, if you want your heart to be directed in the love of God, keep His commandments. Right? And it's not just for lip service. right? The Pharisees They did a lot of outward showy stuff. It looked like they were keeping commandments on the outside, but where did it lack? They lacked it from the heart. That's why everything they did had an excuse. Well, I don't have to do this commandment because if I do this, this, and this, and this, the things that I really want to do, then then I've done enough, right? They could justify it. They could twist it. They could get it to where whatever they wanted to do, they allowed themselves to do it, but not you, right? All these double standards speaking out of their mouth, but they weren't serving from the heart. Oh, this is what we need. You say you love Jesus this morning. Then know that this is how you show that love. He that hath my commandments and keepeth them, he it is that loveth me, and he that loveth me shall be loved of me of my Father, and I will love him and will manifest myself to him. Now that's interesting. If you're loving Jesus, the Father loves you. That's something to be encouraged about. That's right. And I will love him. Jesus loves you. That's encouraged about. And you know know, the order of operations. He loved us first. And will manifest myself unto Him. There is a personal revealing of the God of this universe, our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, to you. I will manifest myself unto Him, to Brother Andy, to Sister Jessica. I will reveal myself. Manifest is what it means. It means to reveal This is what we're talking about. We're talking about growing in knowledge of our Lord, growing in grace, is that we have a real appreciation, a better knowledge, a clearer vision of seeing Him. He's the one who does it. I will love Him and will manifest myself unto Him. It's not, you know, let me clean up the glass real well so I can see you clear. It's He's showing Himself to me. Yo, that's good. And then Judas said unto him, Not a scary, lest you get confused. There's another one. Lord, how is it that wilt manifest thyself unto us and not unto the world? He's like, that's a little confusing. How are you going to reveal yourself just up, up to us? And he's thinking he's just talking to the apostles. But this is broader. This talks to all of Jesus' children. How are you going to do it and not to the world? Now he's thinking, you know, like sign in the sky, right? When Jesus comes back, everybody's going to see him. Well, he will on that day. But until then, he's going to reveal himself to his children. And Jesus answered. This is is the answer to that question. How are you going to show yourself to us and not to the world? If a man love me, he will keep my words. Synonymous there with commandments and words. And my Father will love him, and we will come unto him and make our abode in him. Now that word abode is the same word earlier from verse 2 in mansions. A dwelling place. Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit, all dwelling within His children. He that loveth me not, keepeth not my sayings. Those who don't love Him won't keep his sayings. And the word which you hear is not mine, but the Father's which sent me. These things have I spoken unto you, being yet present with you. But the Comforter, which is the Holy Ghost... Whom the Father will send in my name, He shall teach you all things and bring all things to your remembrance whatsoever I have said unto you. And and the disciples had that experience over and over again. And then they remembered such and such. And then they remembered they'd done something unto Him. It's the Holy Ghost that's the teacher. That's one of the benefits of being a child of God and the indwelling Holy Ghost is that He will teach you and bring to remembrance what Jesus has said. All right, so if you're studying your word and you're learning, you've got it in your head and your heart, and those moments come out there where, Lord, I need you to open my mouth, He's the one who'll bring it. Who gets the glory there? that? He does. All right, if it was up to me, I'd be just mush mouth all the time. Peace I leave with you. So Jesus is saying, I'm going away for a time, but I'm leaving peace. Not turmoil, not angst, not strife, not doubt. Kids, you ever been left alone at home for a few minutes? You're wondering when that parent's going to come back. What's going to happen? Is the house going to burn down? Is you know whatever? Is you know am I going to get in trouble for? There's a lot of anxiety when the one who takes care of you is not there for a time. Right. Well, here the one who takes care of us. It looks like he's not there. Right. He's going away. But He's not leaving you with that anxiety or wonder or doubt. He's leaving you with peace. A peace that He gives. Peace I give you. Not as the world giveth. The world can't give you this lasting peace. Give I unto you. Let not your hearts be troubled. Neither let it be afraid. It goes back to that same verse in verse 1 of 14. Let not your hearts be troubled. You believe in God, believe in me. Let not your heart be troubled or roiled or agitated. Neither let it be afraid. Which means timid. You don't have to be Timid. Just because you cannot see your master right now, he's still there. And he has given you his peace and he's given you his comforter. You have heard how I said unto you, I go away and come again. If you love me, you would rejoice because I say I go unto the Father for my Father is greater than I. So his admonition of, y'all, I'm going to the Father. If you really love me, you'll be happy about that. If you've got a, a family member or a friend or someone who's who's dying and you know you know that they love the Lord, you know that their life has lived that out, you can rejoice because they're going to the Father. We don't have to be sorry. We'll grieve, yes, we will, because we'll miss them here, but you don't don't be sorry for them. That's, right. That's a foolish thing. Right. They've got, they got nothing to worry about. And now I told you, now have I told you, before it come to pass, that when it come to pass, you might believe, All right. Again, he's saying what's going to happen. He's going, he's going to be here for a minute and he's going to go on and the comforter's going to come and be with him. I'm telling you so that when it come to pass you might believe. Hereafter I will not talk of much with you. I'm, I'm wrapping it up just right? you know, kind of five more minutes and yet yeah, he keeps going right? It's okay. not much more. for the prince of this world cometh and hath nothing in me Whos he ever talking about? Satan. Why about Satan coming? And he's got nothing on me. In me. I think the expression we use is, you got nothing on me, Kappa, right? I'm, I'm innocent. Well, generally the guy who's saying that isn't innocent. But here he actually is. Right? He cometh and he has nothing to accuse Jesus of. That's nothing. He lived the perfect life. There wasn't a single sin, not of active or omission. And yet he's coming. Now, I'm going to chase a rabbit. Okay? And y'all forgive me. Because I don't know a better time to chase this rabbit. The prince of the world cometh. Go over, just going to jump real quickly to chapter 16 and verse 11. It says of judgment, because the prince of this world is judged. So okay, let's kind of jump in the middle. Well, yeah, it is. So let's go back in verse 7. Nevertheless, I tell you the truth. It's expedient for you that I go away. For if I go not away, the comforter will not come unto you. But if I depart, I will send him unto you. So the comforter is coming. And when he has come, he will reprove the world of sin and of righteousness and of judgment. So he's going to reprove the world of sin because they believe not in me. It's one of the roles of the comforter. Of the righteousness because I go to my Father and you see me no more. And of judgment because the prince of this world is judged. All right? So the prince of this world is coming and he's got nothing on Christ. And later, when the comforter comes, you're going to have the prince of this world who has been judged. All right? Those are the bookends I want you to hang on to. Go to Revelation chapter 12. Revelation chapter 12. We talked about uh, a few weeks ago about there being a sequence within Revelation. And then the sequence seems to pause and it shows things that have already happened. And so this is one of those in verse 12 where the sequence of of trumpets and vials and... um, Things being opened on the book, seals, that's what they are. Um, And then there appeared a great wonder in heaven, right? And we're going to read this whole chapter, but I want you to see where this this falls into play. And there appeared a great wonder in heaven. A woman clothed in the sun and the moon under her feet, and upon her head sat a crown of twelve stars. And she, being with child, cried and travailed in birth and in pain to be delivered, And there appeared another wonder in heaven. Behold, a great red dragon, having seven heads, ten horns, seven crowns on his heads. And his tail drew the third part of the stars into heaven and cast them to the earth. And the dragon stood before the woman, which was ready to be delivered, for to devour her child as soon as it was born. All right. Who's the dragon? Satan. All right. You can see that over Revelation 20 and 2. Who's this child that's going to be born? Well, let's read a little bit on And she brought forth a man-child who was to rule all the nations with a rod of iron. How many times are there descriptions in the Old Testament and New where Jesus is going to be the one who rules with a rod of iron? This is a direct reference to Christ. And her child was caught up unto God and to his throne. Your whole life of Christ and work there is jumped to where he's ascended back up to the Father. And the woman fled into the wilderness where she had a place prepared of God that they would feed her there a thousand two hundred and threescore days. It's about three and a half years. And there was a war in heaven. Michael and his angels fought against the dragon and the dragon fought against his angels and prevailed not. The dragon didn't prevail. Neither was their place found anymore in heaven. And the great dragon was cast out. The old serpent called the devil and Satan, which deceiveth the whole world, He was cast out into the earth, and his angels were cast out with him. And I heard a loud voice saying in heaven, Now is come salvation and strength and the kingdom of our God and the power of his Christ. For the accuser of our brethren is cast down, which accused them before our God day and night. And they overcame him by the blood of the Lamb. And by the word of their testimony, and they love not their lives unto death. Therefore rejoice ye heavens, and ye that dwell in them. Woe to the inhabitants of the earth and the sea! For the devil has come down to you, having great wrath, because he knoweth that his he hath but a short time. We'll finish reading, then we'll talk a little bit. And when the dragon saw he was cast to the earth, he persecuted the woman which brought forth the child. And to the woman were given two wings of a great eagle, that she might fly into the wilderness into her place where she was nourished for time and time and half a time from the face of the serpent. And the serpent cast out of his mouth water as a flood. After the woman, might cause of her to be carried away the flood. And the earth helped the woman, and the earth opened up her mouth and swallowed up the flood, which the dragon cast out of his mouth. And the dragon was wroth with the woman and went to make war with the remnant of her seed, which keep the commandments of God and have the testimony of Jesus Christ. Okay. So... These events here, you've got the birth of Christ, you've got His ascension, and then you have this conflict where the devil and his angels are cast down and overcome by the blood of the Lamb. So when did this happen? I believe this happened after the crucifixion. What had He been doing before that? He had been accusing all the saints before God night and day, and now Jesus has been revealed, His work has been completed, and He has been cast down. He can no longer stand there and accuse them. He's been cast down out of heaven, and he knows that he hath but a short time. So these events here are describing that which has already happened. This is not something that's going on in the future. Now exactly um, what all the other symbolic language means, I I can't tell you exactly yet. We can study that out. Maybe we can glean that as we go on. Um, But this is talking about Satan. is going to continue to attack the church and the remnant for as long as his time is allowed, and it is a short time. He's a defeated foe, and they were overcome, but now is the salvation, the strength, and the kingdom of our God, and the power of our Christ. For the accuser of our brother is cast down, which accused them before our God night and day. They overcame them by the blood of the Lamb, and the word of their testimony, and they loved not their lives unto death. Rejoice. right. So going back to John chapter... 30 hereafter I will not talk much with you for the prince of this world has come and hath nothing on me he had been tempting Jesus directly there when he started his ministry and I think he'd been tempting him um, throughout it as he's trying to get him killed I mean as the dragon was there waiting for the birth of the child I mean see that in the same form of Herod there right using him to try and wipe out all the children I Notice, you know it's reading with Megan didn't say all the boys just all the children. They were killed in Bethlehem and all the towns thereabout. So here he's come and he's got nothing. He's about to be defeated by that work of Christ. Alright? Verse 31, But that the world may know that I love the Father, as the Father gave me commandment, even so I do. Arise, let us go hence. So, the world is going to know that Jesus loves the Father. How? Because the Father gave him a commandment and he obeyed. What is our our pattern for Jesus? If we love Him, and we're going to demonstrate Him. We're going to keep the commandments that He's given us. This is not earning your way into heaven. That's, That's false doctrine. This is what do you do because of what He's done. Because of the love that He has for you. How do you live your life now? Verse chapter 15. I am the true vine, and my Father is the husbandman. All right? Get this idea of a vineyard, right? God the Father, He's the one who's planted and designed this vineyard. Jesus here is the vine and everything else. All the other people are just branches that come off of it. All right? Every branch in me that beareth not fruit, He taketh away, and every branch that beareth fruit, He purgeth it, that it may bring forth more fruit. All right? So if you're bringing forth a little fruit, expect there to be some pruning and purging. Cut off the things that aren't good, so that you can bear more fruit. Now ye are clean through the word which I have spoken unto you. Abide in me, and I in you, as the branch cannot bear forth fruit of itself, except it abide in the vine. Alright, if you got up to a grapeyard and you cut off a big old stick of the branch that's got all these grapes on it, and you just kind of hang it out in the air, you expect any more grapes to grow? And that which is there is going to turn into raisins, right? got to abide in the vine. He's the vine. You need to abide in Him. I am the vine, you the branches. He that abideth in me, and I in him, the same bringeth forth much fruit. For without me you can do nothing. Right? We can spin our wheels trying to be spiritual and serve God and do all this, but if Christ is not the center and not the focus and we're not doing what He's told us to do and we're not loving Him and keeping His commandments, don't expect to have spiritual fruit born in your life. Need to abide in him. Without me you can do nothing. If a man abide not in me, he's cast forth as a branch and withered, men gather them up and cast them into the fire, and they are burned. If ye abide in me, and my words abide in you. Staying in close to the Lord means his words are staying close in you. Ye shall ask what ye will, and it shall be done unto me. Now if you're close to him and you're close to his word, are you going to just ask for any old things? You're going to ask for things that glorify Him and glorify your Father. How how is He glorified? Well, herein is my Father glorified that ye bear much fruit. So shall ye be my disciples, my followers. It is the followers should bear fruit, fruit that glorifies the Father. As the Father hath loved me, so have I loved you. Whoa. Remember how much we're to love one another? As Jesus has loved me, how much has he how much has he loved us? With the same love that the Father has for the perfect Son. Father loves Jesus with a perfect love. That's the same love that he has for you. That's the same love you're called and commanded to love one another. Amen. We talk about throwing mantles of love over one another, and sometimes it just seems so hard to stitch a little doily that's this big. Now, we need to have big old fleece blankets of love, all right? Chunking them over each other and loving one another because we're commanded to and letting the little things go. As my Father hath loved me, so have I loved you. Continue ye in my love. If ye keep my commandments, ye shall abide in my love even as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in His love. Follow my example. My Father gave me commandments. I I abided in them, even unto death. Keep my commandments, and you shall abide in my love. Y'all notice some pattern and repetition going on here? Think we need to be reminded of this? I do. These things have I spoken unto you that my joy might remain in you and that your joy might be full. Wow! There's a lot of things that we seek for in this world to fill that joy bucket. And not a one of them are going to fill it, but Christ. If we're abiding in Him, that His joy, my joy, might remain in you and that your joy might be full. That's what we want. Greater love hath no man than this, that a man lay down his life for his friends. And that's exactly what Jesus was about to do. The highest form of love that could be displayed is he going to lay down his life for his friends. He didn't say, I'm going to lay him down for these servants. I'm going to lay him down for these worthless rags. He could have. He says, I'm going to lay him down for my friends, for his friends. Verse 14, ye are my friends. Wow if you do whatsoever I command you. To say that if I don't do what He commands me, then I'm not His friend? I don't think so. I think that's you taking yourself out of His love, that kind of false notion. I think this is saying is that if you're His friend, you will be doing this. This is an evidence that you are a friend of Christ, that you're keeping His commandments. What's a false friend? One who says one thing to you, but then does something else when they're out of the room, Right? That's a false friend. We want to be true friends. A true friend of Christ. Ye are my friends if ye do whatsoever I command you. Henceforth, ye are not. I call you not servants. For the servant knoweth not what his Lord doeth. But I have called you friends. For all things I have heard of my Father, that have I made known unto you. you know, the master doesn't have to explain himself at all to his servants. Just you go do this particular task. You don't get to see... Anything bigger than that or what, what's going next? He says, but it's the privilege of a friend. As I'm telling you the same thing that the Father has told me. I'm relaying to you and you're my friend. right? So when you sing that song about what a friend we have in Jesus, that He is our friend. Because He has told us what the Father's words were. Not only is He our friend, we're His friend. We need to act like we're His friends. right?" Ye have not chosen me. There's so much poor doctrine out there that emphasizes the verse of of it. It says, ye have not chosen me, but I have chosen you. He's the one who gets all the credit. He's the vine. His Father has the vineyard. He designed it. He planted it. He chose you. The God of this universe chose you and ordained you that ye should go and bring forth fruit. How is your Father glorified? By you going and bring forth fruit. What's your purpose? Well, He chose you and ordained you that you should go and bring forth fruit. How are you going to bring forth fruit? By abiding in Jesus Christ and loving Him and keeping His commandments and loving His children as He's loved you and as the Father loves Him. And that your fruit should remain. Isn't that great? That what we do for Christ remains. You know, there's other, other passages in the gospel that talk about not sweating the things that are going to go away. You know, your, your silver and money and clothes and all that can be rotten or stolen or cankered, you know. But if you're treasuring up treasures in heaven, those remain. That every effort that you make in the service to the Lord is not forgotten. He knows it. And your fruit will remain. And whatsoever you ask in my Father's name, He may give it you. These things I command you, that ye love one another. Let's see. We're at the same time. Right? Now, go back to verse 31 of chapter 14. I may have just read over it. Chapter 14, verse 31. It says, Arise, let us go hence. So they've stood up from the table. And now they're starting to walk. Right? They don't actually leave the city of Jerusalem until um, the end of chapter 17, which says, they spoken thus, they went over the brook Kedron and went into the garden. Right? So we've risen from the table. He's now teaching as he's walking. I mean, You're talking about the final moments. He's walking out to where he's going to be arrested. Right? He's going to have his time of prayer there, but he is walking out. And he's told them, he told them back at the table, love one another, New Commandment. Now, in the midst of this walk, and Jerusalem's not that big. He's told them, verse 12 of chapter 15, This is my command that ye love one another as I have loved you. This is my commandment, that ye love one another as I have loved you. Same words, right? And then again, down here in verse 17, These things I command you that ye love one another. Three times. Very short span. If the world hate you, You know that it hated me before it hated you, right? He's saying, remember, about praying for the Lord to deliver with the word to have free course and be glorified and deliver us from unreasonable and wicked men for not all men have the faith, right? The world, those who are not born again, those who hear the word and and still in that state of dead and trespasses and sins, some will always remain that way. They're going to hate it. If the world hate you, know that it hated me before it hated you. you. Remember following my pattern? This is see the pattern. They hated me first. If ye were of the world, the world would love his own. So somebody posted on Facebook about you know be careful if you're in the majority. Yeah. We need to be careful if we're in the majority. Because if we're of the world, the world would love us. If we're acting like the world, if we're talking like the world, if we're valuing the things of the world, the world will will appreciate that. You'll get backpacks for that. But if you're loving Christ and abiding in His commandments, they won't. But because ye are not of this world, but I have chosen you out of the world. Because you've been chosen, because you're not of this world, the world hateth you. What does that mean you're not of the world? Well, when you're born again, you're created a new creature. And Jesus said that if um, my kingdom were here, he's talking to Pilate, that my servants would fight. Well, you're part of his kingdom, but it's part of the spiritual kingdom for right now. right? You're a new creature. You are an alien to this world. You're not from here, so to speak. There's a day when you're going to be in the kingdom where you see with those glorified bodies and that perfect eyes. So you'll be truly home and citizens. And that's the kingdom that you're looking forward to. But it's not here. It's not this world. It's not anything that this world has to offer. The world you were chosen out of it. He's not plucking you out right now. you still got to abide here for a time to do His service, to glorify Him, to bear fruit. Herein is my Father glorified that you bear much fruit. And I've called you and chosen you and ordained you to do that. That's what you're here for. A lot of books. Why am I here? You're here to glorify God. And His Son, your Savior, Jesus Christ. That's what you're here for. If the things that you're doing in life don't do that, stop. If the things in your life are hindering from you in that, let them go. If the things in your life are more important than that, They're idols. Remember the word that I said unto you, the servant is not greater than his Lord. He just said that a minute ago, right? At the table. You're not greater. So if they persecuted me, they will also persecute you. If they have kept my sayings, they will keep yours also. There's the two reactions, right? You hear it? You don't like it? And some level of persecution. From very mild to death. Or you hear it? As they would have kept his sayings here directly, they'll keep it coming from from you. They have kept my saying, they will keep yours also. But all these things they will do unto you for my name's sake, because they know not him that sent me. So regardless of whose name they claim to be working in, we're working on God's behalf. If you're punishing this because I claim to work for Jesus, and I'm following what he told me to, you don't know God, and you're not working on his behalf. But there are those who are going that are gonna come to kill the disciples, thinking they're doing God's business. If I had not come and spoken unto them, they had not known sin, but now they have no cloak for their sin. He that hateth me hateth my father also. Well, I like God, I just don't need that Jesus fellow. Sorry, Baba. I am the way, the truth, the life. He is the only way. No man cometh to the Father but by me. You don't get the Father without the Son. He that hateth me hateth my Father also. If I had not done among them the works which none other man did, they had not had sin, but not been aware of it. But now they have both seen and hated both me and the Father. They were happy in their religious pretense. They looked good and they felt good about themselves, but here he's come revealing it, and they hated him, despised him. And this has come to pass that the word might be fulfilled that is written in their law. They hated me without a cause. And so all that's going on was fulfilling every prophecy and everything that the Father had sent to his prophets through time, saying, This is what would happen, and here it is. They hated him without a cause. Well, I'm being mistreated, it doesn't feel fair. What's the pattern? That's what happened to your master. But when the Comforter is come, whom I will send unto you from the Father, even the Spirit of truth, which proceedeth from the Father, he shall testify of me. Who's the Holy Spirit talk about? Jesus Christ! He doesn't talk about Himself. He talks about Jesus Christ and ye also shall bear witness of me because ye have been with me from the beginning that was part of the unique role of the apostles right? except for Paul who was one who was born out of time because they had been with him from the beginning they could say three and a half years we followed him we saw these miracles we saw him die we saw him plunged with a spear and we saw him alive this is the one this is the one that they've spoken of all these things that were written of by God through all this time this law that you knew a of the Jews they held it to be true here is where he fulfilled this and this and this and this. Now, he had to teach them that. like they're, they're walking on the road to Emmaus and they just didn't understand why this has happened. And he's the one who's having to explain of all these things that were written about me, here's where they were. And then he did that later again to the, the other larger group. Okay? You'll know, bear witness of me. These things have I spoken unto you that you should not be offended. Okay, now this offended don't mean I've got your feelings hurt. Alright? This offended means to be entrapped. Or to stumble. Right? You'll ever seen some of those army obstacle courses? Right? They're kind of intense. Alright, now imagine doing that blindfolded. Or pitch black dark. Right? What's the odds of you getting tripped up and startled when you come to that big old climbing rope and just smash your face into it and fall over? You start trying to climb, you don't know how climb right? That would be hard. It would be easy to be entrapped. And we know from the parable of the sower that the seeds that are sown on the stony ground, there's no depth in it, and when there's tribulation and persecution, they look! We dry up, I'm offended, I'm not doing this, this is too hard, and they bear no fruit. right? So he's telling them in advance, there are some hard things that are coming, I want you to know about it, I'm giving you a map of the obstacle course. You're not going to be able to see that whole course ahead of time. right? We don't get to see the future, but he said, here's the, here's the map, these are the obstacles that are coming, expect them, don't be surprised, and don't be ensnared and don't give up when they go on. These are the things I've spoken that you should not be offended. They shall put you out of the synagogues. Well, that, that hurts my feelings. Right? That's basically quickening you out of church. Right? They put you out of the synagogue. They're calling them heretics. If you're going to be a follower of Christ, the Jews back then, that's that's heresy. Right? They didn't believe he was the Son of God. And so you had to be willing to lose the prestige and social status of being accepted among the majority of your people. Yea, the time will come that whosoever killeth you thinketh he doeth God's service. Right? We mentioned that earlier. That when they put you to death and they're cheering about it, they're thinking, yeah, we're serving God. Genuinely, they think that. So Don't be surprised. That would be liable to be upsetting as you're the one being killed. Right? Y'all think you're serving God? No. But he told me this was happening, so I'm not going to be offended. I'm not going to walk away. I'm not going to betray And these things will they do unto you, because they have not known the Father, nor me. And these things have I told you, that when the time should come, ye may remember that I told you of them. So, again, the Holy Spirit is going to teach you (laughs) that when they come, it's like, oh, I remember that. He showed me that obstacle, that it was coming, so I can remember it and go forward. And these things I said not unto you at the beginning, because I was with you. He said, I didn't have to tell you this at the beginning when we started this journey, because I was here. (laughs) I was keeping you. I was preventing all this from happening, because... I wasn't going to let a single one of mine be lost. That was why I was here. And even when he's arrested, no one else is going to be harmed or taken. Right? You ever wondered why Peter denied him? Put yourself in this position, right? Peter thinks he's at the Alamo. Lord, should we smite? Draws a sword, hacks off the dude's ear. And Jesus says, no. Picks up the ear, puts it back on the guy's ear, heals him, and then tells him, you know, let all these go. And everybody flees. Peter follows into the. Um, the castle, the high priest's castle, you know who's standing around that fire with him? Everybody from the garden! All the officers, all those that are mobs, it was actually one of his cousins, or, or kinsmen, of the guy who got his ear chopped off that did one of those, aren't you one of those guys? Right? That's awkward. Right? So if your cousin's calling, <laughs> no. There's, it's more understand. we can be hard on Peter. Right? If we were in the same boat and you're going into the lion's den, so to speak, you've been basically told you can't fight so he didn't know him. right? and when he got in the door how did he get in the door John had to go let him in right. John was known at the high priest temple or palace he went in and he, he went, later came to the door and told the lady the girl you can, you can let him in too well now he's guilty by association because the same girl is the one who asked him first aren't you one of his disciples too no alright that's a tangent we'll go back John 16. Got these obstacles. Don't be offended. But now I go my way to Him that sent me. Verse 5. And none of you asketh me whether goest thou. But because I have shown you these things, your hearts are filled with sorrow. Nevertheless, I tell you, it is expedient for you that I go away. It's best. It's best for everybody that Christ would go through what He had to go through. Seeing on the other side that joy that He was looking for. You know, he had to endure the shame and despising the cross. He saw the joy on the other side that where he was going to sit down was completed. It's expedient. It was best for him to go away. For if I go not away, the Comforter will not come unto you. But if I depart, I will send him unto you. And here we, we got to earlier. When he has come, the Comforter, he'll reprove the world of sin and of judgment and of righteousness. Of sin, because they believe not on me. So, these are the followers of Jesus, the ones who believe in him. They're the ones who the Holy Spirit has poured out upon. They're doing all these miracles. And those who didn't believe on Jesus, now these followers are doing Him. It's it's a, re, a rebuttal against them. Yes, He was the one of righteousness because I go to my Father and you see me no more. It's a sign that He was righteous and that He'd done it. He'd done it perfectly. It was a stamp of approval on the work and of judgment because the prince of this world is judged. That's the casting down of Satan. I have many things to say on you, unto you, but you cannot bear them now. He's like, that's that's about all you can handle right now. We're, we're going to wrap it up. "...howbeit when He, the Spirit of truth, is come, He will guide you into all truth, for He shall not speak of Himself, but whatsoever He shall hear, that shall He speak, and He will show those things unto you." So the Holy Spirit is going to continue to teach them and to fill in the gaps and lead them down the road as they're trying to follow Him. "...He will glorify Me, for He shall receive of Mine, and shall show it unto you. All things the Father hath are Mine." So the Father's given all things to the Son, and the Son's going to give things to the Holy Ghost, and the Holy Ghost is going to give things to you. Right? That's a blessing all the way down to you, and they're going to teach you. He will teach you. Therefore said I, that he shall take of mine and show it unto you. A little while, and ye shall not see me again. And a little while, ye shall see me, because I go to the Father. And they're going to ask himself, like, what is he talking about there? And he's going to say, do you, do you want to know what I'm talking about? Do you inquire? Verily I say unto you, verse 20... That ye shall weep and lament, but the world shall rejoice. Ye shall be sorrowful, your sorrow shall be turned into joy. What's he talking about? He's talking about, He's about to die, and the world's going to think we won. And you're going to be sad, and you're going to be really upset, and you're going to think, who we followed, who we thought was the Christ? He's dead, and you're going to be very upset. But your joy shall be turned, your sorrow shall be turned into joy. A woman when she is in travail hath sorrow. You know, ladies, if giving birth to a, a child, I understand that's black just you know distressing. Right? It's unpleasant. You have sorrow during that pregnancy pains. But when her hour is come and as soon as she is delivered of the child, she remembereth no more the anguish for the joy that a man is born into the world. Is that process painful? Yeah. Absolutely. Is the joy on the other side far better? Yeah, and that's in the microcosm of the child, but the big picture here of Christ. If there's going to be a little bit of pain for you for about three days but then the joy is eternal. And now therefore having sorrow and ye now therefore have sorrow. He says you're in that period of pain now but I will see you again and your heart will rejoice and your joy no man taketh from you. Well, What's that joy? The joy that he's alive and that he's accomplished what he set out to do. No man can take that from you. And that day you shall ask Me nothing. Verily I say unto you, whatsoever you shall ask the Father in My name, He shall give it to you. So you're praying to the Father, you're asking in the Son's name. And whether to you you have asked nothing in My name, ask and you shall receive that your joy may be full. Right? The joy of Him. The love that you have for Him. Desiring to glorify your Father and bearing fruit. The love that you have for your brothers and sisters because He's commanded you to do it. These are what you're asking and praying for. Lord, help me to do these things. All these things have I spoken to you in a proverb, but the time cometh when I no more speak unto you in Proverbs, but I show you plainly of the Father. At that day you shall ask my name. I say not unto you that I will pray the Father for you, for the Father heareth for himself loveth you. You're talking directly to the Father. The Father directly loves you. You don't have to pray to Jesus to get to the Father. You're praying in the name of Jesus of what He's done, but He's given you direct access to the Father. For the Father Himself loveth you because ye have loved me and have believed me that I came out from God. I came forth from the Father and come into the world and again I leave the world and go to the Father. And His disciples said, to him, Lo, now thou speakest plainly and speakest no proverbs. I don't think He really understood that. I think that plainly is when He, after His resurrection, and when He teaches them plainly all those verses... Um, that accounted to him, and how they were appointed to him, and how he fulfilled each one. Now are we sure that thou knowest all things, and needest not that any man should ask thee. By this we believe thou camest forth from God. And he answered, Do you believe? Do you now believe? Behold, the hour cometh, and yea, now is come, that ye shall be scattered, every man to his own, and shall leave me alone. And yet I am not alone, because the Father is with me. These things have I spoken unto you that in me he might have peace. In the world ye shall have tribulation, but be of good cheer, for I have overcome the world. And then in 17, he's going to pray. But these are the final messages given to these disciples. You see the pattern over and over and over again. If you're loving him keep His commandments. He's given you a new commandment of love His children. Why do you need to love His children? Well, one, because He deemed you worthy. And two, because the world ain't going to love you! You're not going to have any moral support or backpacks in this very hard journey that you're going to have of following Christ from the world. But you will get them from His fellow believers because He's commanded you to. And he sent you forth to bear fruit, to glorify the Father. And yes, you're going to have trials and persecutions. Yes, you shouldn't be surprised about it because that's what exactly happened to your master. We're to follow his example and continue to stand fast even in those things, and that's why we're, over in Thessalon, Thessalonians, Thessalonians the Second Thessalonians, he's praying for the Lord to establish you and give you comfort despite all the adversity that you're going to be going through. So, is discipleship following the Lord hard? Yes. He said, "Take up your cross." The cross is not a very pleasant <laughs> instrument, right? He didn't say, "Gather your bundle of flowers." and your bouquet of groceries. Or what? No, it's take up your cross and follow me. There is a cost to discipleship. We heard Brother Guru talking about that. And so, our prayer, as we're praying, the Lord would open up those doors of opportunities for us to share the good news of the gospel, that we would have boldness to speak, and that um, His Word would be glorified, and that we'd be delivered from unrighteous and wicked men, for all men have not the faith. We also need to be praying that each day... The Lord would direct our hearts into loving Him like we ought to and what all that means. Not just this thin, superficial, well, I love the Lord. And then stop right there. But if you love me, you're going to do the things that He says and you're going to care about the things you said. He that hath my commandments and keepeth them. That's the one who loves me. right? But the Lord direct your hearts in the love of God and in the patient waiting for Christ. This one verse summarizes your entire life As a follower of Christ. Discipleship. In the love of God. Loving God like you ought to. And the patient waiting for Christ. Those are the two major things. In our life. So I pray the Lord would bless us. As we